0: you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to City Church Online. My name is Drake. I'm so glad you're tuning in with us today. Hey, just a reminder, make sure you use that chat that you have there, whether you're on Facebook Live or on our online platform and engage in community and connect during this time. Also, there's some things popping up. You can invite a friend on the online platform, which is a really cool feature. Uh, Also, you can share it on Facebook Live and you can use this connection card to take next steps. Uh, Just no matter where you are and where you find yourself today, we want to help you connect and stay connected in community. Today, we start a series called Who? needs God? And, and I'm pumped about it. There's been this huge shift in our population over the last decade away from church and away from religion. And, and I've seen this. You've seen this. We know this together. That, that there's this increasing disposition in our culture that says we simply don't need this conversation. It's becoming irrelevant. God is irrelevant. Church is irrelevant. Religion is irrelevant. And, and to be clear, there's not been this huge shift in our culture towards atheism. There hasn't been this huge shift of finding atheism appealing, but rather that religion is continuing to lose its appeal. And now we're in the middle of this corona epidemic and it's having huge, huge implications on our culture. And man, just so you know, side note, we're still a church in the city and for the city. And so if you have needs, if those around you have needs, we would love to be a part of that however we can in order to serve those around us. And so as we have this conversation, um, I I don't know where you find yourself as we come in today, but maybe you, you are coming and you would say, you know what, not only does religion not offer the answers but for me, religion is part of the problem, and maybe you have some reasons and different experiences that have led you to that conclusion. Maybe you grew up in and around church or in and around faith, and at some point, your grown-up questions started to outgrow your childhood faith, and so now you're left with the leftovers from that, that tension and that issue, or, or maybe... Today you're tuning in and you're a follower of Jesus and you would say, Drake, my relationship with Jesus is strong and my faith is strong, but there's still some unsettling conversations that come up both internally and externally that that I'm not always sure how to navigate and deal with. Or maybe you're on the outside looking in and you don't know really where you would classify yourself today, but you're definitely skeptical towards these conversations. Or maybe you simply don't care and as you're tuning in, I want you to know, man, I'm glad you're here. We're going to meet you where you are. We're going to have some helpful conversations. And so wherever you are, Here's what I'd like to propose today, that maybe the doubts, maybe the struggles, maybe the issues that that have pushed you away or kept you away from faith, maybe those things have done that unnecessarily. And what I mean by that is maybe the message is not the issue as much as the medium or the messenger in which it's been presented to you. And so uh, in order to build a foundation for this conversation, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit and and talk about this cultural shift. And so after the events of 9-11 and after the terrible tragedy that happened in our nation, there's a guy by the name of Sam Harris who wrote a book called The End of Faith. And this book really functioned as a critique towards all Religion, And he submitted this work to 12 different publishers and they all turned him down because there was this assumption and this idea that there's not really any appetite in the American culture right now after the events of 9-11 for any kind of critique against religion. And so finally a publisher picked him up and amazingly his book soared to the top of the New York Times bestseller list and it stayed there for 33 weeks straight and so the assumption was wrong, this thing blew up, and it got a lot of attention, including some criticism and feedback from a lot of religious leaders in our nation. And so then, in response to that, he wrote another book called Letter to a Christian Nation. And in this book, it's really talking about religion and Christianity in particular being part of of the problem. That same year, Richard Dawkins wrote his famous book, The God Delusion. Now, this is a guy who's educated, crazy smart, Oxford professor, and he takes everything he's got and he aims it at religion. And here's what he says from his book, uh, The God Delusion. He says, if this book works, you might ask the question, hey, Richard, what's the goal of your book? If this book works, as I intend, religious readers who open it will be atheist when they put it down. And it only sold a measly like 3 million copies, so it wasn't really that big of a deal. And then the following year, Christopher Hitchens wrote his famous book, God is Not Great. And the subtitle here was, How Religion Poisons Everything. And so this new group of atheists, that they gave voice to, I think, what a lot of people were already feeling and thinking in our country at that time, and that was that religion is the problem. And, and for the record, there wasn't this huge surge away from religion, away from faith, away from Christianity, and towards atheism. There weren't thousands and thousands of people all, all of a sudden checking the atheist box. But what they were doing, there was this massive migration into a new category of people called the nuns. And that is the, the non-affiliated, the non-affiliated, the unaffiliated category of people. And so th- these people are not embracing atheism, but rather they are disconnecting from any kind of religious affiliation whatsoever. And, and it kind it goes like this, like, we're not checking a box of what we are, but as a nun, we just know what we're not. And today, this category of people, religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, they represent about 33% of the U.S. population today. That's up 10% from about four years ago. And this category also represents 40% of millennials currently, and typically looks like the educated left-wing theologically agnostic or apathetic. There's a group of people that says, hey, I don't, I don't know and I don't care. I don't wake up thinking about this stuff. And what you need to know is that for the nuns, they're not hostile toward faith, but they're simply not affiliated with any kind of faith. And so here's the deal. Listen, I, I can't speak for all religion. I, I can't speak for all of Christianity. There's people who are way smarter than me having conversations that you can learn from. But I'm absolutely convinced as we have this conversation today that the migration that we've seen away from Christianity, which, by the way, is an enormous migration, that the fault lands on the church. And, and really, the responsibility falls on people who do what I do and those of us who gather together on a, on a weekly message. And what I mean by that is it's not the message that's the problem. It's the messenger. It's the vehicle. It's the, the media. It's the, it's the way things have been presented and talked about. And to be clear, it's not the nuns. And if you're a nun, if you fall in that category today, let me just, just listen to me. It's not your fault that you found Christianity unengaging or unscientific or, or irrational or unappealing. It's my fault. And it's our fault if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. And the reason I say that, before you start to throw rocks, okay... The reason I say that is when you open the Gospels, the historical accounts of the life of Jesus, and when you look at Jesus, who by the way is at the epicenter of all that we believe and all that we do as Christians, what you find is people who were nothing like Jesus, liked Jesus. And he liked them back. And so perhaps, if our Christianity isn't attractive, if it's not Compelling. if it has no stick, then perhaps it's because we have the wrong version. And I say that because I've heard a lot of deconversion stories, people who are moving away from faith or moving away from their childhood faith. And, and as I hear the stories of why someone is walking away or why someone is staying away, you know, I, I find I'm like, man, that's interesting and that's, that's curious and that's fascinating or, man, that's heartbreaking. The stories that I hear, but... What I found consistently is none of the reasons presented from walking away or staying away are actually reasons to walk away from faith. And so in this series, as we start over the next couple of weeks, what I'm proposing, what I'd like to do is address some of the challenges that we're, that we're seeing here in this conversation and, and if possible, correct some of the problems that we see in this conversation. And if you're a nun, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just kind of checking in and you're not sure where you land, I just want to invite you, would you track with us? And and I'll tell you my agenda. My agenda from the front end is that perhaps I can present Christianity to you in a way that you have never heard before. The version that Jesus presented. And listen, it's not because I'm smarter than anyone else. It's not because I have unique insight. It's simply because I think there's been a cultural shift in America where we have unintentionally embraced the wrong version over and over again. And what Jesus actually brought to the table was quite a bit different. And so today, starting this conversation, we're going to kind of have the conversation around uh, um, the the furthest regions of, of, of this entire dialogue. And that is what it means to embrace atheism. And so we'll have the conversation. Atheist 2.0 and and these new atheists that I talked about earlier, that they, they kind of fell into their new category and they became celebrities and they kind of redefined atheism, if you will, for our culture and context. And and the reason we're going to have this conversation is not because you have crossed that line. It's not because you're sitting on the other side of this saying, hey, I'm an atheist, and it's not because you even have any intention of crossing that line, but because maybe you have unintentionally moved toward that line. And the reality is, and you you know this and I know this, that you and I cannot move away from something without moving toward something else. And so if, if you're sitting here today and you say, you know what, I've lost faith in traditional faith, I've lost faith in the faith of my childhood, or, or I, I've lost faith or I'm doubting faith in God as he's been presented to me and I'm moving away from that, that the truth is without meaning to, you're stepping in this direction. And and again, these new atheists, they've redefined it for us. And so you need need to know, we we owe it to ourselves, especially if we find ourselves in the middle somewhere. We need to know what it is we're heading toward when we step away from uh, this, this disbelief in God idea. And so what you need to know about atheism is atheism is a complex belief system that logically leads to some unsettling conclusions. It's way more than simply disbelief in God and, and you should know this listen not because the atheists are wrong and for the record today's conversation is not an argument for or against atheism this is just about having a better understanding of what it means to embrace atheism if we're moving in that direction and we owe it to ourselves to know about this conversation and so just because something is unsettling by the way it, it doesn't mean it's not true right? to be clear just because something is unsettling does not mean it's not true for example the coronavirus epidemic is, is, is a great one. Like, it, it's unsettling and true. It's, it's widespread and it's causing death and it's destructive in a lot of ways. It's both unsettling and true. Or maybe a little more lighthearted example would be your teenage daughter's boyfriend. Okay? It might be true that she has a boyfriend and in the moment you get to meet him, that both becomes unsettling and true. Okay? Something can be both unsettling and true at the same time. Time. And, and so, just to be clear, this is way more than unbelief in God. That when you and I move toward a godless, creatorless universe, there are some things that we're left with that we need to know about, and, and it presents a different worldview. So, today I'm going to give you five things. If you want to be a good atheist, Five things that you got to embrace. And, and the first three, you might be sitting here and you're like, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think the world operates like that. As you listen to them, you're like, I don't believe that. But here's the deal, listen, all I'm presenting is that once God is out of the picture, once a personal God is out of the picture, this is what we're left with. And, and, and it could be true, and it could be unsettling, but we should know as we have this conversation. So the first thing, if you want to be a good atheist, is the illusion of mind. The illusion of mind. And very simply stated, that means that, that there is no you in there. There is no, no Drake in here. This, this idea of, of self and me as I identify myself, it's, it's not actually there. I'm just biology. The illusion of mind is simply saying that we're biology governed by the laws of physics, and, and there is no actual you. It's imaginary. Christopher Hitchens, um, one of the guys I mentioned earlier, he, he died in 2011 from pneumonia that was associated with his cancer. And in the process of um, the, the, the cancer and pneumonia uh, tackling his life, um, the doctors would come in and they would they would tell him, Hey, hey, Christopher, your your body is reacting, your your body is fighting, your your body is trying to do this, your body's trying to do that. And at, at one point he just had enough of it and he responded and he said, I don't have a body. I am a body. And in this statement, just, just let it sink in for a minute. If I'm just biology and you're just biology, then this imaginary thing in here that that we would call mind, it doesn't actually exist. There's no drake. There's just body. There's just Biology and, and so this is kind of hard to swallow and wrap your mind around. And so I, I've been trying to think about it the last few days. Like, what would it look like to live like this? Like, I'm just biology, and my wife, Danielle, she's just biology, and my kids are biology, and there's no, there's no Drake and no Danielle. Or, and, and so I've been trying to think about it, and, and honestly, it's, it's virtually impossible. I, I can't figure out how to wrap my mind around how to live like I'm just biology. And so again, th- this may be true. Th- this is not an argument for or against it. This may be true. We might just be biology tuning in right right now to watch this thing together, but, but it's virtually impossible to operate like that. And here's what I know about you, and, and maybe we've never met, but here's what I know about you and me, is that you don't want to be treated as biology. You want to be treated as you. So that's the first thing, the illusion of mind you have to embrace. Second thing, if you want to be a good atheist, is the illusion of will, the illusion of will. If, if we are biology and we're all governed by the laws of physics, there's no room for free will and, and decision making. What, what that means is that you've never actually made any decisions. Everything's predetermined and predestined and Stephen Hawking, who's who's an absolute genius, he's famous for his ALS and, and an incredibly brilliant mind. He was in a debate at one time and, and someone asked a question and in response he simply said it doesn't matter because everything is predetermined and everybody kind of like chuckled in, in an unsettling way, because it's like kind of true, like, okay, you know, choices don't really matter when everything's predetermined, and so then Stephen Hawking actually kind of pokes fun at this, his own idea, his own belief system, he, he's, he's someone who believes in determinism, but here's what he said about the illusion of will. He says, I've noticed that even people who claim that everything is predestined, and that we can do nothing to change it, look before they cross the road, and, and uh, just, a, just a funny little kind of poke at the reality of what it looks like to, to believe in determinism. And, and so he's saying simply, I've noticed that even though uh, the illusion of, of will is there, we still continue to live as if we have a choice. But ultimately, choice is an illusion. And again, this may be true, but it's unsettling as we begin to wrestle with it. The third thing, and this is probably the hardest thing for me, is the illusion of value. If you want to be a good atheist, you've got to embrace the idea, the illusion of value. And so in a world where there's no creator, there's no personal God, the, the, the planets and the universe and life as we know it, however it got here, it got here, there, there is no inherent value. And I'm not talking about like value like money. I mean anything that you find of value, uh, your kids, your friends, family, other people, it's all an illusion. All of value that we, that we put on things, it's an illusion. And what's unique is we leverage the idea of value all the time. But in a world where freedom is impossible, so is the idea of value. Value is simply an illusion. There's no inherent or actual value. It's simply ascribed or assigned value. And what's unique about this conversation is that just is just, just as injustice, okay? Just is just what we want it to be. And so so what that means is when we fight for fairness and justice and equality and different things that fall into that category, that's actually all an illusion. We're just making it up. It simply doesn't exist because value is an illusion. Again, and it may be true, but it's unsettling to wrestle with this. Now, the fourth thing you have to embrace if you want to be a good atheist is that something came from nothing. And this is one of the classic arguments of atheism, so you probably heard, heard this and you're familiar with it. But, but currently, there is no coherent theory as to where everything came from, right? We, we can get all the way back to the Big Bang and, and, and everything starts. Time, space, matter, everything is created after the Big Bang, but there's not really any language for before the Big Bang. And so when the Big Bang banged, that's where we're able to start, to, and we see some things come out of that, but, but the idea is that something came from nothing, and, and Richard Dawkins acknowledges how this is difficult at times, and he says that cosmology is still waiting on its Darwin, m- meaning that, that we're still waiting on someone to answer the question of why is there anything at all? Um, so, so, so that everything is here is a clear argument. But where it came from is still uh, a challenge. And and also, uh, along the same line, is we we have to adopt the idea if we're going to be a good atheist that first life came from no life with no help. First life emerged from no life with no help. And and for the record, listen, I realize you're probably sitting on your couch and you're like, man, I don't even think about this. This is so far from the reality that we live in on a daily basis that it's hard to think about. But this is the direction we're moving when we step away from the other side. Um, um, Francis Collins said it this way. He says that that we move from lifeless matter, kind of on the front end of the Big Bang and evolution and all those things, we we move from lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA. Just let it sink in. From lifeless matter to the digital elegance of DNA. And and again, it might be true, but it's simultaneously unsettling. And the last thing you've got to embrace if you want to be a good atheist is that natural selection is responsible for all life after first life. Natural selection is responsible for all life after first life. And, and just to help summarize this from, from the God delusion, Richard Dawkins um, has this quote, and I'll just, I'll just read it for you to help us kind of understand this big idea. He, he, he says, think about it. On one planet... And possibly only one planet in the entire universe. Molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock. Molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock. They gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that they're capable of running and jumping and swimming and flying and seeing and hearing, capturing and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. And what he's trying to do is breathe life back into the reality that that natural selection has brought about this process, but there's still a lot to life. And as I read this, I don't know about you, but but, but it kind of becomes overwhelming and and, and weighty. You're like, man, if that's the reality. And he may be right. He's way smarter than I am, for the record, right? Like, I I am not qualified, by the way, to talk about any of the things that we're talking about, okay? I don't have degrees in any of this. But this is simply overwhelming. But what I need you to understand is as we move in, in this direction, this is where we are once God is taken out of the equation. And he ends with this reference in his book to Darwin he says that we now understand how the trick is done and and he's simply saying thank you to Darwin because before Darwin we had no idea how things came about but thanks to natural selection we now understand how the trick if you will how life as we know it is here And, and Andy Stanley says it this way he says his personal observation looks like this that as we read this it's really hard to think about natural selection without it starting to sound like an invisible personal force with an agenda he's saying it feels like natural selection is this relentless can't stop won't stop personal force moving us toward where we are today and and listen if if there's no god then, then i'm mistaken and, and natural selection is just a process or a force that, that I can't show you anymore that I can show you mind, or I can show you value, or I can show you compassion. But, but natural selection is this, this process or force that's behind everything that got us to where we are today. And, and for the record, there are there, there's tons of scientific evidence toward this reality. And so, so the question that I'm proposing today is simply, did it have? any help. And so if you're struggling with faith, let's be honest that it's probably more personal than this conversation. That for you, as you sit and reflect on on your personal belief system, you say, man, atheism hasn't become more appealing, but rather religion has lost its appeal. And so, so maybe your version or the version you were presented with of theism it's, it has lost its appeal or maybe it no longer seems like it could even be real. And maybe, maybe you lost something, but, but you're not intentionally stepping towards something else. Maybe for you, you, you lost or are losing or are simply skeptical of faith in God. And, and I want to do my best, be, best over the next couple of weeks to convince you that the God that you lost faith in or the God that you're losing faith in or the God that you're skeptical of and struggling to believe in probably never existed in the first place. That the version that you've been struggling to believe in, that childhood God who never grew up, The version that you walked away from or rejected, not not because you're not smart, not because you haven't been asking the right questions, but maybe you simply walked away needlessly because you've been walking away from the wrong version. So my purpose today was not to argue for or against atheism or the existence of God, but simply to shine a light on the alternative once we start to move in that direction. And it may be true. We, we might not have any will. We, we might not, there might not be no value. There, there might not be any oughts or ought nots. There, there might not be a mind. There, there might not be a you and a me. But here's what I think. That even though it may be true, the reality is we hope not. We hope there is more. We hope we are more. And friends, our only hope for that hope is God. And so who needs God? Perhaps all of us do. And as Daniel comes to close us out and, and uh, as, as we wrap up our time together, I just want to invite you to take a moment and respond, okay? So maybe you've been tuning in and you're a follower of Jesus and Um, you're freaking out because I didn't use the Bible in this message. And uh, can I just tell you, don't worry, listen, we got you covered. That's why we got city groups. This message is a tool for you and me to grow and to be able to help others process the conversation around faith and existence in God. Maybe you hear this and you think, man, that's great, Drake. This is a great conversation and it's turning some gears, but but what about the real-time struggles in our culture? Or maybe you're on the other side of this saying, "What, what about the people in need, like like what about me, what about my friends, what about our, our, our country and our city, and you might be saying, where can I help, or how can I get help, and I, I just want you to know that, that City Church is, even though we're having this conversation and, and having conversations around faith, we're still actively involved in the community around us, and we want to invite you into it. We just did a fundraiser helping out with some paychecks with our friends at the, the Rayback Collective as a church. We, we are donating currently $3,000 to our friends at Crestview Elementary to help uh, with supplies and funds and food for families that are in need. Uh, we're doing a collective food and supply drive coming up on May 2nd that not only you can be a part of, but you can be a beneficiary of if you're in need. And we have a lot of other initiatives happening in and through our community and in the city. And we want to help you connect, Look, use our social media platforms, stay up to date and connected on those things. But we're still actively involved as we have these hard conversations around faith. Maybe as you're tuning in, you need community. Maybe you need encouragement in this season. And listen, we have city groups. You can use that digital connection card in the feed as you're watching and connect with us. We would love to connect you in community and keep you encouraged in this season. It's for anybody on any spiritual path, no matter where you find yourself. We would love to get you connected and stay connected. Maybe this conversation was enough for you. And maybe you've been on the fence on this Jesus thing for a while. And maybe God used this simple intro conversation to put you to the place where you would say Drake I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus and that's the case man we are so excited for you and we want to help you take those next steps and so let us know through that connection card maybe this conversation uh, um, has kind of stirred up some questions and thoughts and maybe you'd simply like to like to meet uh, over zoom and have a a digital cup of coffee with one of our team members and talk more about faith and next steps let us know through that connection card and, and maybe you you didn't hate everything that you heard today and it's got some gears turning. And I hope that you'll tune in with us this next week as we continue to have conversations around the real version of what Jesus invites us into. Thanks for tuning in, guys.